Well, I wish I had an altar story to keep you awake this morning, but I don't. Uh, in fact, um, it's not a good sign. My, my wife, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but she just told me, she said, I, I may fall asleep in your sermon. Um, I know many of you are, are worn out. Some of you have been on spring break, and I know maybe a few of you can't help it, but for the rest of us, let's, uh, let's stay awake. Let's go to the Lord. Let's open His living, breathing Word of God, which is authoritative and instructive and inspired and useful for us today. But aren't you glad that we serve a God who is an all-knowing God? Aren't you glad that we serve a God who knows what is best? Aren't you glad that we serve a God who knows the future far better than we do? A God who knows all about us, who knows our tendencies, who knows our flaws, who knows our idiosyncrasies, who knows our our needs, our wants, our desires far better than, than even we do. In fact, he's a God who tells us in his word, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. I don't know about you, church, but, but I, I desire, I hope that the one and only Almighty God writes the story of my life. I hope that I am faithful in, in following Him, in seeking Him, in serving Him, and being led by Him. In fact, this morning, we, as we open God's Word, as we return to Genesis and we begin Looking at Genesis chapter 37, we, we begin a new series titled, When God Writes Your Story. And friends, when God writes your story, it doesn't mean that your life will be free of heartache. It doesn't mean that your life will be free of trouble. It doesn't mean that your life uh, will be easy. It doesn't mean that others will look upon your life with favor or love or respect. For as long as we live on this earth, in this fallen world, we will experience ups and downs, good times and hard times. But when God does write your story, it does mean that your eternity is secure. It means that the one who knows you best, the one who loves you deepest, and the one who values you most is planning your days. So as we open God's word this morning, let's invite the Lord to to write our story. Let's invite the Lord to, to reveal His plan and our days to us and to lead us in all things that we might faithfully follow after Him. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 37, I want to ask you a question this morning. What dreams do you have? What ambitions do you have for your life? What things do you want to accomplish in your life? What, what roles do you want to fulfill? As we look at the scriptures today, we begin to trace the life of a young man who had dreams of leadership. Indeed, Joseph had dreams of leadership, but these dreams were not simply from his own desires or his own ambitions. They were not simply from his own imagination. These were dreams that were given to him by God. Indeed, God was writing the story of Joseph's life, planning to use Joseph as a leader in his purposes and in and his plans. And as we look at Joseph's story, I think we learn from his story that those chosen by God to lead 
may experience envy and hatred from others. Those chosen by God to lead may experience envy and hatred from others. And as we prepare to look at Genesis chapter 37, I want to quickly set the context. We've been in and out of Genesis, as you know, for quite some time now. We return to it today and we're going to pick up uh, tracing the life of Joseph. We will finish the book of Genesis, the Lord willing, uh, this summer. And uh, where we left off, Jacob and Esau, two brothers, have been reconciled. Two brothers that had been estranged for many years, who experienced much tension and animosity in their relationship, have been reconciled. And, and Jacob has returned to the land of his fathers. He has returned to the promised land, although he has not yet give, been given or inherited the promised land, as had been promised to Abraham's descendants. And in chapter 36, which we have not read or looked at, we, we read the account of Esau's descendants. That even though Jacob was the one who received the blessing and the birthright and the one whom God would continue to carry on his promises to to develop Abraham's offspring into a great nation, Esau still experienced fruitfulness. His family still grew and expanded, yet we read here in 36, chapter 36, that they settled down outside of the promised land. They settled down in the land of Seir, which became known as Edom. And now we pick up the story in verse 37, and right away read that Jacob, however, settled in the land of Canaan. So let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word as we look at Genesis 37, verses 2 through 11. And there God's Word reads this way. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do ask you now to lead us by your spirit and rightly understanding, interpreting, and applying the truths of your word to our own lives as your people. Father, help us now by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what crosses your mind when you read this story, when you read this text, but one of the things that first crossed my mind was that Joseph appears to have needed a good friend who would just tell him to hush. Joseph, those those dreams sound great and all, but don't tell them to everyone else. 
For Pete's sake, don't tell your older brothers that you had dreams of them bowing down to you as if you indeed were their superior. You know, we've all been around people who just kept digging themselves deeper into a hole by what they said. Saying things without thinking about them that quickly caused frustration or hurt or relational tension. In fact, we've all been there ourselves, whether we realized it or not at the time. We've all put our own foot in our mouth. In fact, James cautions his readers in the New Testament. He says this in James 1.19. He says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen, slow to become angry. He later says in that same letter in chapter 3, verse 8, he says that no human being can tame the tongue. For the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, part of growing up, part of maturing is learning what to say and when to say it and, and how to say it. And I think there's a little bit of that going on here in this story. After all, in verse 2, Joseph is described as a young man of, of 17 Perhaps he's a bit naive, a bit simplistic here. However, we know from the rest of the story that there's more going on here than just that. Because Joseph, in this passage, as well as the rest of the story, portrays, uh, the rest of the story portrays Joseph in a, a primarily positive light, as a faithful servant. And here we read about Joseph's faithfulness that earned him favor before his father Jacob. Joseph is portrayed in a positive light. And from his life we learn that faithful service fosters favor from some, but jealousy from others. Faithful service fosters favor from some, but jealousy from others. So here we have Joseph who is out tending the flocks with his brothers. Verse 2. In other words, he's out serving his father. He's out being faithful from all that we gather from this story. But he comes home one day and he tells daddy that his older brothers are out misbehaving. They're supposed to be out watching the flocks. And instead, they're out having water balloon fights or food fights. Perhaps they're sleeping on the job. We don't know what it is that they were doing. But Joseph comes home with a bad report about them. I don't know much about watching flocks or tending herds. So I don't know what opportunities there are to get in trouble. But no doubt, in a family of 12 brothers, there were plenty of opportunities for shenanigans. And so Joseph comes home with this report. And we might, in our day, in our thinking, in our reading about this story, we might quickly label Joseph as a tattletale. Joseph, why would you do that? Why would you come home with such a report about your brothers, but a tattletale, we know, is someone who is quick to point out the faults of others in order to make themselves look better. And there's no indication here or elsewhere that that's what Joseph is doing. In fact, throughout this story, throughout the rest of Genesis, and the rest of Genesis really traces Joseph's life, he's described as a young man with honorable character who is worthy of our imitation. So his faithfulness earned him the favor of his father. But if you know the rest of the story, then you know that his father didn't just favor him because he was faithful. There's more to the story. Remember that Jacob was married to Rachel, his beloved wife. Jacob had multiple wives and many reasons not to be in favor of multiple spouses. But one of them is that 
favoritism will naturally be a byproduct, will naturally be a result. It certainly was in, in, Joseph, in Jacob's life. So Jacob, remember, had children through four women, through Rachel and Leah and both of their servants, all became his wives. But it was Rachel whom he loved, whom had his eye, who had his heart, the one that he worked for Laban for many years in order to, to marry. And because Jacob loved Rachel more than the others, Jacob naturally then began to love Rachel's children more than his other sons. And so here we, we read in verse 4 that his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This is deep hatred. This is deep jealousy, deep hostility in essence, Joseph is a victim of his father's favoritism. I don't know if anyone here can identify with Joseph at all. I don't know if you perhaps have ever been the favored one in whatever context, family or otherwise, or perhaps you've been rewarded for faithful service in a way that maybe someone else hasn't. Maybe you were a faithful child and you received a later bedtime or a greater allowance than a sibling, or maybe you received a gift, a car, when you became of age and another sibling did not. Maybe even as an adult, you're Parents are aging. Maybe they trusted you more, and so they entrusted things to you that they did not to another sibling that earned you jealousy on their behalf. Or maybe in the workplace, you've been one who's received a promotion or a bonus and that other coworkers thought they deserved, and so they became jealous of you, and you found yourself a victim of circumstances, a victim, in essence, of your own faithfulness. And it hurts you that other people did not approve of you or look on favor toward you. And if that is you, if you can relate to that in any way whatsoever, let me urge you, let me encourage you based upon the word of God to seek satisfaction, not from people, but seek satisfaction from God's approval. Seek satisfaction from from God's approval. After all, he is the one that we should be most concerned with honoring, with glorifying, with obeying, with following you know, there are some people in, in life whom we simply cannot please, and that bothers some of us more than it does others. But perhaps you can identify more with, with the brothers than you can with Joseph. Maybe you have been faithfully serving. That's really not the picture that's painted of these brothers, but perhaps you have. You've been faithfully serving and seeking the approval of someone else. Maybe it is your father. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a, a teacher. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a a board of directors. You've been seeking approval and affirmation. And when you don't get it, you tend to get discouraged or depressed. Let me remind you. Let me remind all of us that the most important approval, most important favor that we could receive is knowing that we are faithfully serving the high king of heaven. The one who loves us and values us and knows us. The one who delights in his children who are faithfully seeking him and serving him. In fact, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. It says that God does not take pleasure in the strength of the horse, nor is his delight in the legs of the warrior. In other words, God's delight is not in outward things. It's not in things that outwardly appear to be strong or or powerful. 
No, the psalmist says in 147 verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. The Lord delights in those who, who recognize who he is and who put their hope in him and in his love. Let's be people, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who seek satisfaction not from others, but from the Lord, knowing that he delights in us as we seek and serve him. Perhaps there are others who identify more with Jacob, the father, having a tendency to play favorites among children or students or employees. And if that is you, then we encourage you, based upon this story and the truth of God's word, to beware of favoritism. To beware of favoritism. Jacob, of all people, should have known of the dangers of favoritism in the home. After all, the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob caution us, remind us of the dangers of favoritism, the fallout often associated with favoritism, particularly parental favoritism. Let's beware of favoritism. But then for others, and perhaps for all of us at other times, there is a tendency to want what others have. There's a tendency to be jealous of others. Tendency to to look at the circumstances of other people's lives and see something that we think we deserve or we've earned or, or that we want and to become envious of them. And when that is the case, let's repent of jealousy. Let's repent of, of jealousy. After all, jealousy is a natural response of a fallen, sinful human heart. And it's not pleasing to the Lord. So let's repent of jealousy. Faithful service fosters favor from some, but jealousy from Others. So, as people of faith in the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, as people of faith in that God, let's seek satisfaction in His approval. Let's beware of favoritism and let's repent of jealousy when it applies to us. And as we are faithful, as we are faithful to the Lord, and whatever He has entrusted to us, then God may well entrust greater things to us. In fact, the story of Joseph, the life of of Joseph shows that God often gives greater authority and responsibility to those who are faithful in small things. God often gives greater authority and responsibility to those who, who display faithfulness in small things. This was true of Joseph. He was faithful in some small things and the Lord gave him a couple dreams portraying what his future held, portraying that the Lord was going to entrust some greater things to him. And throughout this story, tension is building. Tension that's first revealed in verse 2 when Joseph came home to reveal, to give a bad report of his brother's behavior to his father. Attention that builds in the text in verse 3 when we read of Jacob's favoritism and this ornate robe that he made for Joseph. And the, fav- the, the tension builds again in verse 4 when we read that his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. And the tension continues to build in verses 5 through 8 with this first dream. And then it deepens in this second dream. Like a balloon, stretching, tension is building, verge of popping, this Jealousy and hatred and animosity, envy between Joseph and his brothers is soon going to spiral out of control. And as we 
I've stated already, perhaps Joseph could have done a few things. Perhaps he could have navigated these sibling relationships a little bit better to smooth some of this tension out. But the vast majority of this relational drama and tension and jealousy was outside of his control. He was his father's favorite. And so his brothers hated him. He was the one that the Lord revealed had a the Lord revealed that he had a special place for him, that he had chosen him to lead in this family. And yet his brothers didn't question the Lord. They they hated him all the more. Church, those chosen by God to lead may experience envy and hatred from others. But even so, all of us are called to faithfulness in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And so here Joseph inherited difficult relationships, difficult family relationships, which had been the pattern in his family for generation after generation after generation. Yet even so, he was called to trust in the Lord to be faithful wherever the Lord had him. So friends, when it comes to your life and the story of your life and the circumstances of your life, you and I are called to serve the Lord faithfully wherever he has us. Wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you inhabit, serve the Lord faithfully wherever the Lord has you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and following. We are commanded, instructed, whatever we do, to work at it with all our heart is working for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that He is the one that is worthy of our efforts, that He is the one that's worthy of our faithfulness, our service. He is the one that's worthy of our praise and our obedience and our honor. But also know in Colossians 3.24 that He has an inheritance waiting for us as a reward. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ that we are serving. So church, serve the Lord even when others disagree with you. Serve the Lord faithfully even when others despise you. Serve the Lord faithfully even if it means that others become jealous of you. Let's serve the Lord faithfully even when you and I and the church becomes increasingly marginalized and criticized by the culture in which we live. Let's serve the Lord in all circumstances faithfully because He is still Lord. You know, God is a God who is in control. He is sovereign and He has a plan and it is a good plan. It is a detailed plan that has been unfolding, that is unfolding and will continue to unfold for our good and for His glory. For this reason, as His Word says, that His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And He calls us to trust in Him, to seek Him, to faithfully follow after Him. John Ortberg, well-known pastor and author in California, has, I think, rightly said this. He says that God's primary will for your life isn't the circumstances you inhabit. It's the person you become. God's primary will for your life and for my life isn't the circumstances you inhabit. It's the person you become. So, in the circumstances that you inhabit, regardless of what others think of you, are you displaying trust in the Lord? Are you trusting in the Lord? The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob. We're given this promise by God. That their descendants would inherit a, a land. A promised land. And yet they have been waiting to inherit that land. Generations have passed, and in the rest of the story, more generations would pass before they inherited that land, but even so, they were called to faithfully trust in the Lord. And they were given a promise that there would be an offspring one day, a seed one day, through whom all nations of the earth would be blessed, and yet they were still waiting for that story to unfold. They were called to exercise faith and to trust in the Lord despite their waiting. And likewise, church, we are called to exercise faith in the Lord and to trust in Him as we wait, though from a different vantage point. For we know the one who is the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know the one who has come and given His life for our sins in order to reconcile us to God. That all nations of the earth would be blessed through Him. For Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has died and Christ is risen and this very same Christ will come again. So we live in between the Advents. We live in between Easter and the return of the King. And as we do, church, let's faithfully exercise trust in the Lord in the promises of God and in the eternal plans of our God. Let's trust in God to fulfill His plans. Father, I pray that You would lead us as Your people to to trust in You, to serve You and to seek You and to follow You wherever we are, whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, knowing that You alone are God, Lord, that You are sovereign, that You have a plan, that it is a good plan. Father, help us to be faithful in pursuing you and seeking you and following you. Father, help us now to express our trust in you. To be a people who trust in you and who serve you and who know you and who follow after you. As our Lord and as our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen.